Welcome to AI Arthritis Voices 360, the podcast solving today's most pressing issues in the AI arthritis community. We invite you all to the table, where together we face the daily challenges of autoimmune and autoinflammatory arthritis. Every Sunday, join our fellow patient co-hosts as they lead discussions in the patient community, as well as consult with stakeholders worldwide to solve the problems that matter most. Whether you are a loved one, a professional working in the field, or a person diagnosed with an AI arthritis disease, this podcast is for you. So pull up a chair and take a seat at the table. Welcome to AI Arthritis Voices 360, the official talk show for the International Foundation for Autoimmune and Autoinflammatory Arthritis, or AI Arthritis for short. My name is Danielle Das. I'm a patient living with rheumatoid arthritis and axial spondyloarthritis, and also one of your 2020 recurring co-hosts for the show. If you heard me recently on one of our previous episodes, you'll know that they are currently trying to take my diagnoses away and maybe give me a new one. So if you catch me in another few weeks, those may change. I don't know. That's sort of the life of a patient with AI arthritis, right? But for now, let's just run with RA and AXPA because that's certainly what it feels like. I'm here today to report back on a really exciting opportunity that I had recently to take part as a panelist for the American Food and Drug Administration's public meeting about communications about the safety of medical devices. Now, I'm pretty sure that some of you are thinking the what for the who and why did we do this? So don't worry, I'm going to explain all of that and I promise I'm going to explain it quickly and in an exciting way. (laughs) Or at the very least, podcast exciting. So let's start with why did we do this? The most obvious reason is because our mission as an organization is to represent patients. We want to center the patient voice in all of the conversations in the medical community about issues that impact us. And a lot of patients with any kind of AI arthritis diagnosis use medical devices. Now, medical devices can be implanted devices. So if you've had a hip replacement or if you have a pacemaker or something like that, you have an implanted device. But it's also things that you use every day. If you use a cane, you're using a medical device, crutches, a wheelchair, anything like that is a medical device. Even over-the-counter products like a thermometer or the little gloves I use for my hands or a wrist brace or something like that. These are all medical devices. So AI arthritis patients use medical devices all the time. So when we heard that the Food and Drug Administration was going to have a conversation with stakeholders, we thought it was really important for patients to be represented. So that's one of the reasons that the organization wanted to be involved. We also have relationships with many of these types of stakeholder groups, including regulatory agencies like the Food and Drug Administration. From here on out, I'll refer to them as the FDA, just because it's kind of a mouthful. And the European Medicines Agency, which is sort of the FDA's counterpart in Europe. And sometimes these regulatory agencies reach out to us to request assistance reviewing materials or sharing resources, or in this case, finding the right person to participate on a panel. So when that happens, AI Arthritis looks into our database of volunteers, and moving forward, we'll also be using our database of AI Arthritis Voices members to find the right person to recommend. So for this particular public meeting, I know that the FDA reached out to Tiffany Westrich-Robertson, which is our CEO, and said, we are going to have this public meeting, and we would like to have the patient voice represented, but we have a very limited budget and we can't pay for anyone to travel here. So do you have any volunteers 
volunteers that already live in the D.C. metro area that could travel just to the building, participate in the meeting, and go home without any hotel expenses. And lucky for me, Tiffany knew that I lived in the D.C. metro area. And she also knew that before I was disabled, I was a government teacher. So... While it might not sound super exciting to some people, the opportunity to participate in an FDA hearing was like a dream come true for me. This would be like if someone reached out to my daughter and said, would you like to present at the Academy Awards? You know, I was so excited. I can't even tell you. And so when Tiffany said, hey, would you be interested in doing this meeting? I was like, um, yes, (laughs) sign me up. I'm there. Any type of government meeting, if you've got anything for Congress, I'm your girl. So I was really, really excited. Now, originally, the public meeting was supposed to be in April, and then the pandemic hit. And I can't tell you how devastated I was. I thought the meeting was going to be canceled, and I was going to miss out on this opportunity. Fortunately for me, however, it got delayed and delayed and delayed, and they eventually decided to do a virtual public meeting, which was fantastic for me because I am still quarantined, as I hope most of you are, since those of us on immunosuppressants should really be staying home and staying away from the virus. So I got to do this public meeting as a panelist virtually this past November. And before I tell you a little bit about the meeting, I want to just talk about the experience for a second, because even those of you who have no interest in the FDA or anything like that can relate to this, I think. For those of us who have had to go on disability, who cannot go to work every day anymore, who are missing that sort of professional piece of our lives that was so important for so long. I was not emotionally prepared for what this experience was going to be like. For a few hours, I got to dress up and sit at a desk and participate with all of these professional people who are still most of them working and people listened to me and they valued my opinion and they wanted to hear what I had to say And when someone would say something like, yeah, Danielle made a really good point. It was all I could do not to just fist pump in the air, which would have been very unprofessional. So I had to not do that. But it was such an amazing experience emotionally for me. I was on an emotional high, although admittedly, I was on a very physical low because it took a lot out of me. I'm not used to being on, if you will, for that many hours in a row anymore. For, I would say, several weeks after the meeting, I just walked around with like this little glow inside of me that I could kind of take out and pet when I needed to because I had had this experience where I got to feel like me again in a way that I didn't even realize I was missing because I am a whole person. I don't want to suggest that I'm not. And my new normal and my new life is very full and it's very rich. But I also have a lot of skills and a lot of professional experience that I don't really get to use anymore on a regular basis. And so this opportunity really put me in touch with myself and gave me a chance to go, you know what, I may not go to work anymore and I may not be able to physically do all the things that I used to be able to do, but I am still me. And my disability, my disease has not changed who I am or what I can do or what I can contribute to the patient community or to the world. 
And if you have an opportunity to do something like this, whether for our organization or a different one, I'm telling you, you need to grab it with both hands because it was just amazing. And I can't wait for the next one. All right. So now that I've told you why you definitely need to get involved with this organization if you aren't already so that you can have an opportunity like this too. And I'm going to tell you how you can do that at the end of the episode. I want to talk for just a minute about the actual meeting because I want you to participate in that as well. So the meeting included several stakeholders. There were three representatives from the Food and Drug Administration. There were three industry representatives, so people who represented companies who manufacture medical devices. There were two representatives of the media, three representatives of healthcare personnel that included both physicians and nurses, and two representatives of caregiver organizations, specifically people who take care of juvenile patients. I was the only person who was there representing adult patient voices. So that should give you some idea of how important it is that our organization and ones like it be involved in these kinds of things. Because when we don't show up, there's nobody there to speak for us. Now, the agenda included a lot of questions, but I want to focus on some of the main ones just to give you an idea of what kind of information the FDA was looking for. The main thing that they were interested in knowing is how they could do a better job of communicating with the public about safety updates as far as medical devices go. So they wanted to know things like, how do you learn when the FDA has a concern about the safety of a device you're already using? Where do you get your information about the safety of your medical devices? Do you get it from your doctor? Do you get it from an insert in the actual device? Do you read about it in the news? That kind of thing. How would you prefer to receive this information? And the sky's the limit on that. Do you wish there was an app you could download? Or would you rather read it in your social media news feed? Or would you rather they just be quiet and leave you alone and your doctor tell you? You know, that kind of thing. They were also really focused on how easily understandable the information that they were already putting out was. And we talked a lot about the fact that their information is very heavily targeted to industry professionals and healthcare personnel and not really targeted to patients. And so they use a lot of technical jargon and a lot of medical terminology, and that may not be understandable to every patient. And one of the recommendations that I made was maybe they need to have different notifications. You know, why are we getting the same notification that doctors and industry personnel are getting? Couldn't they put out a notice to the manufacturer, a different notice to hospitals, and a different notice to patients? And then they wanted to know, are they giving the right information? If you read one of their safety notices, which you can by going on their website if you've never looked at one before, which I'm going to be honest with you, I hadn't before this meeting. So to prepare for the meeting, I went and familiarized myself with their safety notices. You can just go on their website and read them. Is the main message clear? Is the information actionable? And that's a big one. You know, if they tell you something is dangerous, but they don't tell you how to fix that, that's a problem. What sort of information is and is not useful? You know, I don't really want to read a whole bunch of tables of data. I just want you to tell me the bottom line. One of the questions that they asked, which I personally was really glad that we were there to answer, was do we need to describe what a device is or what it does when we communicate about its safety? And I said yes, because, you know, I've had several surgical procedures. My physicians never told me this is the manufacturer and the serial number of the device I'm implanting in you. 
But even when I was reading the sample safety notices on their website, I found one about a procedure that I had had recently. So when they describe what the thing is and what it does, you might go, oh my gosh, I have that. Whereas if they just gave the name, you wouldn't necessarily recognize it as a patient. And that's another example of where they're really more talking to healthcare personnel. And maybe that's a problem. Another thing that I thought was really interesting is they asked us questions about things like, how should people get information who don't have access to the internet? But they did not put anyone on the panel who represented those demographics of people. So no one was able to answer that question. And I thought that was really remiss of them, frankly. So I'm asking you, the audience, because I'm going to be very honest with you, I don't know anyone who doesn't have access to the internet. I live a relatively sheltered life in the DC metro area. Everybody here has internet. But I know that we have people listening all over the world. We have people that live in rural areas that don't have high-speed internet. I'm sure we have people listening who have relatives that don't have internet and things like that. So some of you may have the answer that the FDA is looking for, and they need to hear from you, frankly, because they did not bring anyone to the table who could answer that question, even though they considered it important enough to put it on the main agenda. Which brings us to submitting comments. If you have an idea or a comment or even a question, although you're not going to get an answer, so questions are probably less useful than suggestions and comments for the FDA on this topic. And like I said, especially if you have some suggestions for them about getting information to people who don't have access to the internet, they need to hear it. They are accepting public comments until January the 19th. Now, we're going to have a link in the episode description for this episode. Then all you have to do is click on it and it will take you to the page where you can comment. And we're also going to put that link on our social media pages at IFAI Arthritis. In case you are looking for it, you can find it there as well. I do need to warn you, though, and this is straight from the instructions from the FDA, comments submitted electronically, including attachments, will be posted to the docket unchanged. Because your comment will be made public, you are solely responsible for ensuring that your comment does not include any confidential information that you or a third party may not wish to be posted, such as medical information, you or anyone else's social security number, or confidential business information, such as a manufacturing process. Please note that if you include your name, your contact information, or other information that identifies you in the body of your comments, that information will also be posted. So please do be careful in what you're posting because they're not going to edit them or censor them or anything like that. It just goes up as is. And I'll also tell you that when I was preparing to record this episode, I looked and I only saw seven comments so far posted. So if you take the time to go and post a comment, there are not very many of them. They're absolutely going to be read by the people at the FDA and your words will get attention and it will make a difference. So if you have any thoughts about how you receive information about the safety of these devices that you use every day or that are inside your body, please, please, please take some time and find the link and go and tell them your thoughts because they want to hear them. And I'll tell you who else wants to hear your thoughts, and that's us. Are you a person living with AI arthritis diseases or the parent of a juvenile patient and you're interested in having AI arthritis connect you to these types of opportunities? Then visit AIArthritisVoices.org, preface that with an HTTPS, or learn more about joining at AIArthritis.org backslash AIArthritisVoices. 
You can also submit comments or questions by visiting our social media pages at IFAI Arthritis or emailing us at podcast at AIarthritis.org. I also want to say thank you to our listeners today. Sorry, I got a little emotional there in the middle. I wasn't planning on that. If you liked what you heard and you want to support the show, we could really use your help. We would love a five-star rating on whatever podcast platform you patronize. That's the sort of help that only listeners like you can provide as we seek to grow our audience. This broadcast was brought to you by the International Foundation for AI Arthritis, an organization that relies on the support from our community to continue doing the work we do to improve the lives of the 450 million people worldwide affected by these diseases. If you'd like to support the show, please visit AIarthritis.org backslash talk show and give us a virtual high five or a double 10. Those are increments of money. P.S. And by the way, every donation given on this link will go directly to support the show. Thank you so much for joining me today. Please be part of the continued conversation at AIarthritisvoices.org or by sending a message because only together with all of our voices counted, can we solve the problems that matter most to you. AI Arthritis Voices 360 is produced by the International Foundation for Autoimmune and Autoinflammatory Arthritis. Find us on the web at www.aiarthritis.org. Also, be sure to subscribe to this podcast and stay up to date on all the latest AI Arthritis news and events. 